as I read the Christmas story, the birth of our Savior, Matthew chapter 1. And praise the Lord for heat, amen? (laughs) Even I'm with you on this day, Jane. (laughs) Yes, oh yes, 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 yes. All right, Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 18. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Glory, hallelujah, for that precious truth right there. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we rejoice today that a Savior is born. We rejoice at the As we go back in time to this event uh, when this Virgin Mary gave birth to our precious Savior. And Father, we thank you that we have the blessing of uh, not being Old Testament saints where we looked ahead uh, in in wonder uh, for the promised Messiah, not knowing many of the details. Uh, And now, Lord, we get to look back and see this historical event and rejoice that God became a man. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to magnify our Savior. And then, Father, as we go on our separate ways, and many of us being with family, I pray that uh, we would never have this precious event and our precious Savior far from our hearts today and in the year ahead. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I am so glad that you're with us today. Today is a very special day. We celebrate an event in history. Our text today, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was, and I want you to imagine now, somebody interrupts. Just that statement. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was. Can you imagine with me somebody saying, or was it? Was it really? Did Jesus really, was he born? You see, there are a plethora of people today, more and more, that are denying the very historicity historicity of Jesus Christ entering into this world. I mean, you're talking about something that happened a long time ago, right? 
In fact, we mark, if it did not happen, we even mark our calendars. Today is 2022 from what? The year of our Lord. But what about all these people that deny that Jesus Christ even existed? Even, this, even the beginning of this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was, comes into question. And I submit to you folks that multitudes today all across the world are celebrating this day, Christmas, without a Savior. I'll give you an example. I read this article just this week, and this comes from England. Uh, The lady who wrote this, uh, again, is from England. The title of the, and you can see why I, I saw this headline, and it jumped out at me. Uh, It said, Christmas comes with good cheer. The tragedy is the religious baggage. Wonder where she's coming from. Listen to what she says. And I'm not going to read you the whole article. I just took out excerpts. So this is from England. Keep that in mind. She says, this is the first Christmas since time immemorial that most people in this country are not Christians. By the way, as England goes, so America is following The latest census found those identifying as Christians fell from 59% to 46% in a decade, with 8 million people shifting to, quote-unquote, no religion, which is now the second largest English group. The number of atheists is probably higher, as some tick the Christian box as their cultural identity without having any religious belief. In that sense... I feel culturally Christian, so deeply imbued with its myths, paintings, hymns, and parables. Did you get that? But as vice president of Humanist UK, I celebrate any decline in superstition, any rise in those who look life and death in the eye with no expectation of anything beyond this earth. I want to read that again because that is one of the most tragic statements. She says, I celebrate any rise in those who look life and death in the eye with no expectation of anything beyond this earth. (laughs) Well, Merry Christmas. There's nothing merry about it. She goes, enter, here comes Christmas. It touches most rationalists as much as believers, reaching deep into the recesses of heart, childhood, memory, and family bonds. She says, she acknowledges, I will watch A Christmas Carol every year, and uh, whatever production, The Muppets or Alistair Sim. I will always shed a tear for the prospect of human redemption. You will? That's interesting, in light of what she says. And she goes on, I'm just reading excerpts. The dense theology of carols inculcating bizarre concepts skates past most singers. Quote, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. And the sheer impotence of, quote-unquote, lo, he abhors not the virgin's wombs. She's slamming these precious hymns with incredible truths in them. But the rest of it I find loathsome. Why wear the symbol of barbaric torture, a barbaric torture, Martyrdom, martyrdom is, repugnant, is a repugnant virtue. So too the imposition of perpetual guilt. 
In other words, everything to do with Jesus Christ. But the greatest damage wreaked by the enduring grip of religion affects every single one of us sooner or later. And that is, the organized opposition has time and again blocked our right to die with dignity at a time of our own choosing. And she's referring to the two houses, uh, the two Congress in, in England. A great disproportionate number of both houses are religious, and they fight every time. Only their God, they say, can decide the time of our, time of our passing. Praise the Lord for those that are fighting that battle there. Meanwhile, every day, people suffer needlessly. So Christmas comes... With good cheer. Enjoy it. But know that it comes with religious baggage we should shed. And I submit to you that the very thing she wants to shed is the reason why we have hope this holiday season. So we're going to look at this idea. Again, the birth of Jesus was. Was Jesus a real historical figure? Many years ago, there was a debate uh, on a college campus uh, and the um, one was representing the Christian side, another person was a Marxist uh, from New York, and her opening remarks were this. She said, and I quote, Historians today have fairly well dismissed Jesus as being historical. Her opponent ripped her to shreds with that because, uh, in fact, he, he pointed out very clearly that it is certainly not historians who propagate what is called a Christ myth theory of Jesus. Uh, Other people will. But certainly, folks, to submit that Jesus Christ is not a historical figure is to fly against reason itself. So let's talk about that. Did Jesus exist? One professor of theology, professor of New Testament, uh, back in the 60s when the school was different than it was today, the Chicago Theological Seminary, Dr. Otto Betts made this statement. He said, no serious scholar has ventured to postulate the non-historicity of Jesus. So I want to talk to you about just this morning for a few minutes. How do you know, how do we really know that Jesus Christ existed? Maybe, I mean, it was so long ago, nobody here can say, I was there. How do you know George Washington existed? Now, there'll be people that will hear that and say, you're right. In fact, people go so far as to say, how do you know September 11, 2001 existed? And they've got big, bulgy eyes. How do you know? How do you know Jesus Christ existed? Well, let's talk about history for a few minutes because there are multitudes of historians and records that have existed down through the ages since the time of Christ that verify and and affirm that there was a human being named Jesus who fulfilled the things that we read about today in our New Testament. So I'm giving you some examples. One was named Tacitus. He was born in A.D. 52, and, um, or somewhere 52 to 54, not sure exactly when he was born there, but he was a Roman historian. And he um, wrote of the reign of Nero. And Tacitus alludes to the death 
of Jesus Christ and the existence of Christians at Rome. Listen to what he said. We have this record. I quote, But not all the relief that could come from man, not all the bounties that the prince could bestow, nor all the atonements which could be presented to the gods, small g, availed to relieve Nero from the infamy of being believed to have ordered the conflagration, the fire of Rome. Hence, to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with the guilt and punishment, uh, with the most exquisite tortures, the persons commonly called Christians, who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea, of Judah, or Judea, in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition, so this is not a believer, the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. So these were not people that were sympathetic to Christianity. They were just acknowledging there was a man named Jesus Christ who died under Pontius Pilate and started a major religious sect. Then there's another, Lucian of Samosoto. He was actually a satirist. He, was a, you know, he would write satire in the 2nd century. He was also not sympathetic to Christianity. He spoke scornfully of Jesus Christ and Christians. Uh, he had connected them with the synagogue of Palestine and he alluded to Jesus, alluded to Jesus Christ as, quote-unquote, the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult into the world. Furthermore, he says, their first lawgiver persuaded them that they were all brothers one another after they have transgressed once for all, denying the Greek gods and by worshiping that crucified sophist himself and living under his laws. So you see the scorn, but there were people that wrote favorably, obviously, multitudes. And then maybe you've heard of Josephus, Flavius Josephus. He was born in A.D. 37. He was a Jewish historian. He became a Pharisee at the age of 19. And in in 66 AD, he was the commander of the Jewish forces in Galilee. After being captured, he was attached to the Roman headquarters. And here's what he says. He says, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day. This is not a Christian, but it's someone acknowledging the truths that are given to us in the New Testament. As the divine prophets, so he... uh, he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, these and ten thousand under other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. So that's early second century. And down through the history, there's multitudes of others. Uh, Suetonius, another Roman historian, Tertullian, Thallus, uh, Phlegian, Justin Martyr, the name goes on of of down through the ages of people who have wrote about this person, clearly he was a living historical being. Maybe you've heard of 
This um, Plinius Secundus, you ever heard of him? Or Pliny the Younger, there's also Pliny the Older. He, um, he was the governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor in AD 112. And he was writing the emperor Trajan, seeking counsel as to how, how do you deal with these Christians? It become a major problem. Pliny the Younger. You ever heard of Mount Vesuvius? Anybody ever been to the display at the Smithsonian when it was there? Mount Vesuvius, uh, Pompeii. It was actually Pompeii that, you know, you, you've all read about Pompeii. You've heard about the Mount Vesuvius blowing, you know, exploding and 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 that it literally buried uh, Herculeum and Pompeii. And uh, it was un, it, not even seen for many, many decades, century, FA, and then they finally found the ruins. They finally discovered it, and they uncovered all these things. Now, Pliny the Younger wrote about Mount Vesuvius exploding. His, in fact, his father even sent a rescue. His father was a powerful leader, Pliny the Older, who got on a ship and tried to rescue some of the people from Pompeii as it happened, and he writes about it. So this Pliny the Younger writes about this event of Mount Vesuvius, and, and he also writes about Christians in Jesus Christ. How do you really know that Pompeii isn't a grand hoax? I remember going to, to see the display, Pompeii, and they mentioned Pliny the Younger. And nobody, nobody when they were giving their presentation, no one balked at that. Pliny the Younger, tell me about it. How do you even know there's a person like this? Folks, nobody has doubted Mount Vesuvius. Nobody has doubted Pompeii. There's now not only the writings now, but there's evidence. And yet, people will doubt the New Testament. Another historian who was uh, Montgomery Warwick, uh, he's 91 years old, he's still alive. He's a professor, a theologian, and a lawyer. He made this statement. He said, what then does a historian know about Jesus Christ? He knows first and foremost that the New Testament documents can be relied upon to give an accurate portrait of him. And he knows this portrait cannot be rationalized away by wishful thinking, philosophical presuppositionalism, or literary maneuvering. Amen to that. You see, there's something incredibly authentic about the New Testament. Let's go back to some of these historians that I quoted. And I want to share with you. And, and I've never heard any of anyone doubt these historians. Uh, because there's records. Um, so let's talk the first one I mentioned. Uh, Tacitus. Uh, who was born, born around 52 to 54 AD. Who wrote. And those, his writings have been preserved and copied. So that we have manuscripts from centuries ago that are from his writings and you know how many copies of of um tacitus we have found that authenticate this guy really did live 20 copies and i've never heard anybody doubt that this roman historian existed how about lucian he's another one that i mentioned or maybe i didn't i did thank you okay you know how many copies, manuscripts are found? Now, when I talk about manuscripts, understand that 
all writing before 1554 was writing copies. Anybody that produced or wrote anything or got a copy, uh, it had to be copied by hand because the, the printing press was not invo- uh, invented until 1454. So understand that. So when you have these ancient manuscripts before the 1400s, and they're from different places and all, it tends to verify 150 copies of Lucian. Nobody's ever doubted that there was a, a Roman historian, uh, or not a historian, rather a, sat, uh, you know, a, a satire person who wrote satire in the second century. So 150 copies found. Josephus. Nobody's ever doubted that I've heard the historian Josephus. There are 120 manuscripts of Josephus. Hey, let's talk about Pliny the Younger. You know, the one that claimed to have witnessed this supposed Mount Vesuvius explosion. You know how many copies of Pliny the Younger? There's seven copies. Yet I've never heard anyone doubt that Pliny existed. What about the New Testament? How many copies, how many manuscripts from the New Testament? You know, all these historians are saying it is... You cannot deny history. I mentioned to you all these others. You know how many copies so far? And they're still finding more. There's over, there's five, over 5,800 copies of the New Testament. Various places, various ages, all testifying the same thing. It's amazing. It is amazing. And yet there's people that will deny this very event. I mentioned earlier, uh, they actually have a name for these people, and, I, and I've talked to someone um, that fits this category, at least they did, I haven't talked to them in a while about this, but they call them 911 truthers. And I'm, I'm not going to make fun of them, because maybe, some, maybe we have some folks here that are 911 truthers. So I looked it up, I wanted to make sure I got my facts straight. What is a 911 truther? It says 911 truthers believe a lot of really stupid things that have either been debunked or are far beyond conceivable and always require that scores, hundreds or thousands of people have successfully kept these things completely secret for more than a decade without a single whistleblower coming forward. Was September 11th just an elaborate scheme? When I heard, when I first found out there was such a thing as nine one one truthers, and and this this event happened in many of our lifetime, didn't it? And yet, there's people that deny that planes really went into the building. Some believe it was a an orchestrated by the government um, detonation that destroyed the, the the buildings and all kinds of crazy things, and that there were no planes. I've shared with many of you that I grew up. I grew up. I was a classmate of a young man that was the co-pilot of the second plane to hit the towers. His name was Michael Horrocks. He lived in my neighborhood. I wasn't good friends with him, but I would say hi to him in the hallway. He knew me. I know him. And ever since September 11th happened, and it was a couple months before I found out that he was the co-pilot of that second plane, he had two children. They were young children at the time. And so I have been, I prayed for Michael Horrocks' children and his wife for years and years. And I've seen interviews with them. Are you trying to tell me that, that, that that's all fake? That th- these people, that, that it's all this scam, that Michael Horrocks, maybe he's on the witness protection program. 
along with thousands of other people. It is totally ludicrous for people to deny things that have happened so recently. No wonder people will embrace this Christ myth. But I submit to you that what Matthew 1.18 says, the birth of Jesus Christ was, literally happened. I want you to open your Bible there, Matthew, 8, Matthew chapter 1. Because there's something very special and unique about this birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here's how it goes all the way up to the end of this, this part. And Abraham begat, generated is the Greek word there, begat Isaac. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat. And you see this phrase going all the way down to verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph. And Joseph begat Jesus. Does it say that? It does not. All of a sudden it shifts. And this pattern of this person was born to this person that was born to this person. And all of a sudden in verse 16, it says Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom was born. There's that word begat in a different tense. Jesus who is called Christ. Now you see, we contrast the, the genealogy of Matthew what we just read with the gene- genealogy in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, which also give the genealogy. But here's the key. One is the genealogy. Both of them go back to David because the Old Testament made it very clear to the Jews that their Messiah was going to come from the branch of David. There would come a king that would rule Isaiah 11 and verse 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. How did Jews interpret this? Somebody was going to come from the lineage of David. And that's what they were expecting, folks. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And verse 7 it says, Upon the throne of David. Our our The book we're studying in the evening services, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23 and verse 5 prophetically says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper. So, this Messiah had to be a son of David. And it's interesting because the two genealogies in Matthew and Luke give to us, first, the genealogy of Mary, or, or Joseph, and then the genealogy of Mary. One came from Solomon, the other came from Nathan, another son of David. Joseph was not, it was not his seed. He was the adopted father of, of Jesus, and his heritage is the legal heritage. Mary's heritage is, is the natural heritage. 
so that this person, something very unique about this Savior, folks, he was not born of normal birth with a father and a mother. He came of the woman's seed. Very clear in the text we read that they did not have relationships until after Jesus Christ was born. He was virgin born, and he had to be, so he could fulfill being the Savior of the world. And there's people that want to deny it, and how very sad that is. Because they are denying, and the thing that this lady made fun of in the beginning, how very sad. In fact, the the very thing she mocked are the very precious truths of the song Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. I've preached on this last Christmas time. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. She calls this an inculcating bizarre concept that skates past many people's notice. I will agree. It does skate past many people's notice because I sang that song growing up and it meant nothing to me. I didn't, they were just words. Veiled in flesh, the God. Hail the incarnate deity. It was after I got saved and began to realize these are precious doctrines surrounding the birth of a Savior. Wow! What an amazing thing. Did Jesus Christ really, was he really born? Absolutely. How tragic that so many people deny the historicity of Jesus Christ and who he claimed to be. So I think, when I think of the 911 truthers, I also think of those who believe in a Christ myth. They're going to stand before God someday. In fact, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ your Savior? See, He's alive, folks. He's alive. He rose from the dead. And with what the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, many infallible proofs, he showed himself alive. Then he ascended up into heaven. And this same Jesus, the angel said, will so come in like manner. He's coming back. And I cannot wait. But there are people, folks, like this dear lady that every Christmas goes by and she partakes, she cries at the story of redemption in, uh, you know, when she sees Scrooge get nice. Uh, She has no idea that right under her nose is the Savior who wants to save her soul and save yours as well. I close with this. I heard a, a, a a theologian being interviewed and, um, he was, he was doctrinally um, sharing some things that he had learned. Uh, he, was, he was younger than I was, which is most people anymore. Um, but, but he was, and, and what, the man was brilliant, amazing. These young guys studying theology and knowing his stuff. And, um, and, and just had a lot of stuff to say, a lot of blessings to me. And then he was asked at the end of the, in, end of the interview, He was asked, his name is Tim, and he said, if you could talk to your younger self, which was nine years ago, your younger self, I'm like, wow, 
My younger self, nine years ago, was still an older self. (laughs) But he said, if you could talk to yourself, your younger self, what would you say? And I was so blessed by what he said. And I want you to listen to this. Here's what he said. He said, I would set Tim aside himself. And I would say, Tim, your faith is unhealthy because Jesus is not at its center. You may be a believer, you're a preacher, you're a Bible college graduate, but Jesus Christ, the risen person of Jesus, is not the person you're in love with. And he needs to be. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with the gospel. And let everything else in your life be secondary. As Jesus becomes more important and the gospel becomes more important without even trying to, all the other things will become secondary by comparison. Wow. You know, you hear all these things. He was a preacher. He was a Bible college graduate. And his faith was unhealthy. You see, Christianity, folks, it's not all about Christmas. It's not all about church. It's not all, not all about calling ourselves Christians, as even this, this, the women who's part of the, what is it, the atheist UK, whatever, she even checks Christians sometimes. But folks, Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. A living, vibrant walk with a risen Savior, a very real person. So is, is your faith healthy and that was good i needed to hear that it's so easy to go through the motions of and the motions are beautiful motions i mean christianity i think back to Amos or uh, hosea and isaiah where the prophet rebuked the people of god because they were doing all the things that god required they were offering sacrifices they were praising god they were going to the temple doing all the things that god wanted but their heart was far from him and it's so easy, folks, to go to church, do all the things that check the box. Some of you even brought your Bibles today, you spiritual giants. You brought your Bibles. Some of you even combed your hair today. I mean, it's just amazing. We come to church, we go through the motions. But, folks, the challenge is is our faith healthy? If so, Jesus Christ needs to be at the center. And may, may that be true of each one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us today to worship the Savior, to love Jesus Christ, to fall in love with him all over again so that he would be at the center. Father, many of us are going to be going about the activities of Christmas. But Lord, may we not distance ourselves from the precious Savior whose birth, whose life, whose purpose gives us meaning. And Father, for those that maybe have denied the historicity of Jesus, maybe they've just not even been sure that He really even existed, may they fall in love with the one who came to die on Calvary, the one who shed his blood so that their sins could be forgiven, this this brutal, uh, torturous religion that was scorned 
by many today is the the precious, powerful gospel, the life-saving message to us who are saved. And Father, I pray for those that are not saved, that they would get born again the Bible way by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.